Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 49 of Yogaland, almost at 50. Woohoo! Today is a special bonus episode. I want to start doing some bonus episodes here and there where I just talk to you about some things that are on my mind or offer some insights. And that's what this one is all about. As you may know, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And if you know me well, anyone listening out there, you know that my mental health has been a pretty pressing issue for me throughout my adult life. And if you don't know me well, you're going to learn about it on this episode. I will admit I've been tossing around the idea of doing this episode for about a year. And it's always kind of hard to do, not because it's hard to talk about, but because it just feels awkward to share and potentially overshare with people, especially when, as I'm talking right now, I'm really just sitting here looking at my computer. (laughs) I don't get to see all of your faces out there. But I decided to go forward and do the episode because I can remember when I was in the throes of really severe panic attacks and depression, that the thing that got me through was someone unexpected coming up to me and saying, telling me that they, sharing their experience with me and telling me that they had been through what I was going through. Just that feeling of not feeling so alone and not feeling so quite frankly, weird, was incredibly helpful. So that's the spirit in which I'm offering this for people out there who have struggled with their mental and emotional health and are also struggling with this idea of being a yogi and and having sort of mental and emotional health issues. So I'm going to start with a little story. The other day, Jason and Sophia and I were together and Sophia was on our bed watching uh, some kind of little show on the computer. And I laid down next to her and I took a nap and I was so happy. And I woke up and she said, mama, how did you sleep like that right next to me while daddy and I were there? And I was, the show was on and daddy and I were talking and how did you fall asleep like that? And I said, you know, I can, I have been known to nap like anywhere. I was known for it in college I was known for like being in the middle of a party and just laying on a couch and taking a nap or, you know, being in the middle of our apartment. I can remember um, my junior year when I was living in Washington, D.C. and going through a really hard time and just laying there in the middle of all my friends sitting around talking and taking a nap. And it was incredibly comforting for me to be around people, but to not have to talk to kind of like check out. And so as I'm telling Jason and Sophia the story, you know, like I was known for this in college. I was known for being able to to take a nap in the middle of people. I said under my breath, and I also had a mood disorder. And um, I said it under my breath because it's not something I talk to Sophia about yet, but I do think a lot about how I will talk to Sophia about it and when I will talk to Sophia about it. Anyway, Jason and I laughed at my little aside because I think it's a really good idea to have a sense of humor about yourself and your, your foibles. And I, it, it made me reflect and remember that when I was in college, I had no idea I had a mood disorder. I had no idea that some of my 
defense mechanisms of wanting to escape and feeling really overstimulated really easily and just having anxiety pretty much all the time. I I just normalized it. I thought it was really just the way that I was wired and that it was always going to be that way. And that all changed when I was 23 and I had my first full-fledged down and out panic attack. And I am really grateful that these days people even know what a panic attack is. And you'll hear people talk about like, oh, I had a ha ha ha, I had a panic attack. Um, Like it's a, a minor event in life. I'm really grateful that we do have more awareness. At this time, this was the mid nineties. I I had never heard of such a thing. All I knew is that I was living in San Francisco. I was young. I had been living there for a year. I only knew my best friend from college and my boyfriend at the time when I moved there. And we had a really rocky relationship as so many people do when they're in their early twenties. Like we loved each other so much, but we were just so chaotic and like neither of us had steady jobs and he was a musician and I lived in an apartment with no heat, which in San Francisco is a really bad idea. And my roommate, best friend from college was dating someone who was had a drug problem and I missed my family and I missed the comforts of having that foundational support. And I was kind of unknowingly in this constant state of anxiety. And then one day, my boyfriend and I went to see the Tony Kushner play, The Great Angels in America, which was a play about the AIDS epidemic. And at that time, the AIDS epidemic was still an epidemic. People were still dying. And the main character, one of the main characters in that play is a woman who is so depressed that she lives in an alternate reality. And I'm pretty sure, I think she takes Valium like, and lives in this alternate reality. And her, the presentation of her character was so disturbing to me as I sat in this theater that I started to feel kind of like I couldn't breathe. And I was like, trying to calmly take in some air and let it out. And before I knew it, I really really thought I wasn't breathing. And I I had had asthma attacks before and I thought I was having an asthma attack. So I pushed my way out of the row in the middle of this play, which is also a very long play, by the way. I pushed my way through this row of really annoyed people. And I ran outside of the, and I ran down the stairs and into the bathroom. And I thought as soon as I got into the bathroom, I would just take a deep breath and everything would be fine. And I could not take a deep breath and I kept, and I started splashing water on my face and I can remember looking in the mirror and having like a complete out of body experience. Like, am I alive? Am I here? What's going on? I didn't, I knew that something was really wrong with me and the play ended. So I actually lasted like almost to the end of the play because my husband, uh, my boyfriend came out five minutes later. And I said, I'm having a panic attack. I'm having, or I didn't even say, no, I didn't say I'm having a panic attack. I said, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And he's like, let's go to the hospital. And we kicked someone out of a cab and we went to the emergency room and I was still convinced I wasn't breathing. And I remember like walking in and the person behind the desk kind of looking at me like cockeyed, like, 
you really think you're not breathing? Because let me tell you, if you're talking, you're breathing. (laughs) But anyway, they took me into this room and this very kind nurse put her hands on my shoulders and calmed me down. And I was able to just, I mean, I can't remember what they told me. I can't remember. I mean, she, she told me that I was breathing and that I was not having an asthma attack, but I don't think she used the words panic attack. And I don't think she told me to go to a doctor or anything like that. I just remember going home and not feeling better. Like I could breathe and I was out of the woods, but I had this pit in my stomach. And I can remember that night just like being up at 2 a.m., 3 a.m. and just feeling like I was dying, just feeling like I was just never going to be okay again. So that triggered a really, really incredibly dark and, and difficult period for me. I fortunately found a psychiatrist pretty quickly because I talked to my parents and they had a friend who, who recommended someone who works, worked specifically, he still does, for people with panic and anxiety disorder. And so I got in to see him within a week. But the week between having gone to the emergency room and going to see him, I mean, I things went really downhill for me. I can just remember getting to the place where I had a hard time leaving my house without feeling like I was being swallowed up. And yet I didn't want to be in my house because it was such a sad place to be at that time. And I can remember like turning on the TV late at night, hoping it would soothe me and just looking at Conan O'Brien's head and seeing this talking head like that terrified me. And I kept being really scared that I was going to end up somewhere. You know, I, I guess in my head, it was like a psych ward or something that was even worse and even scarier and, and that I just wasn't going to get better. So I went to see the psychiatrist and he was this just wonderful, very compassionate, very thoughtful person. And, you know, he went in the the methodical way that psychiatrists do. He went through kind of the list of what was going on for me and recommended medication. And I just, at that time, it was not a big thing, right? It was not as common as it is now. And I had a huge stigma attached to it. And I was like, I'm not one of those people. I'm not crazy. I can't do that. I don't, it's just, I don't want to block out my feelings. You know, I had every reason in the world. And he was like, okay, well, I'm going to give you this prescription for Xanax and we're going to I'll see, and you can take it three times a day, which is a lot for Xanax. Let me tell you, I'll see you in a week and we'll see how you're doing. And I pretty much think I sobbed through the entire appointment, which was kind of how I was at that time. I was just sobbing for no reason. And I knew there was no reason. It was just my body was really out of whack. So I went home. I had moved out of my apartment for that period of time and moved in with a friend of my older sister's who was an MD. She was a a doctor and So she was about 10 years older than me and I looked up to her so much and it was so wonderful to be in her home because it was clean and she had enough money to like buy this pump soap in her shower. I remember thinking that was really fancy (laughs) and she just, she made me breakfast and she was just kind and put up with me quite frankly. And I remember telling her what the psychiatrist recommended and she said, okay, well, you know, as from my perspective as a doctor, you know, that's not a bad idea to consider going on an antidepressant. And I told her all the reasons I couldn't. 
And she said, well, what would you think if I told you that like pretty much 75% of my med school class was on antidepressants by the last year? And I said, well, I guess that would make me feel a little bit better because you're all normal, quote unquote, normal people. And she said, look, what if I told you that I was on antidepressants? And my entire perspective shifted because here is this woman who was so successful and so balanced and so kind and had offered her home and her care to me. She didn't really know me that well. And she was, quote unquote, what I thought of as normal. And she had taken antidepressants too. So that was really the turning point for me. And I went on the medication and I was really fortunate in that I felt better really quickly. And the comparison of taking antidepressants to taking Xanax was like night and day. I mean, with the Xanax, I was having a hard time staying awake, but if, if the medicine wore off, I just still felt this tooth gnashing pain, like all in my torso from my neck, you know, down through my chest into my stomach. But the antidepressants on the other hand felt balancing. And I know there will be people out there listening who, who are thinking all of the things that I thought at that time, which are along the lines of she should have tried harder. She should have tried 5-HTP. She should have tried melatonin. She should have balanced her gut. She should have tried yoga. I wasn't doing yoga at the time or meditation. And admittedly, at that time in my life, I hadn't tried all of the complementary therapies. But I still feel that at that point in my life, going on medication was the right thing for me to do at that time. So I went through a short period of time, a few years later, of being able to go off of the medication. And about a year after being off of it, I went through a similar panic attack followed by a severe anxiety and depression situation spiral. And I was doing yoga at this time. And I lived in my own nice apartment. I had a great job. And I'd broken up with that boyfriend and I was pretty happy being single. So going through it again was very confusing to me and very disheartening. And I remember being really disappointed in myself that I had to go back on the medication, but it was a really sudden crash. And it was, again, at that time, the wisest thing for me to go back on it. A couple of years later, I started working at Yoga Journal and I went to a class at a Yoga Journal conference called Yoga for Depression. It was led by Timothy McCall and Patricia Walden. And Patricia has always been very forthright about the fact that she suffered from depression before she found yoga and that yoga really healed her. So 
I was, I was actually in a pretty good place, uh, mentally and emotionally at the time when I took that class, but sitting in the classroom for that many hours, I think it was like a half day. So like a four hour class and listening to different people's stories and experiences of depression and talking about it and thinking about it was really hard. And by the end of the class, I was just exhausted and I was really emotional. And so I decided to talk to Patricia after class. So I went up to and got in the line of people. There are about five people ahead of me. And I remember feeling really frustrated because every single person, as soon as they started talking to Patricia, would cry as they were talking to her. And this is really terrible, but you know, I was just, I was just desperate to talk to her. I just had this, you know, I I was just, I didn't want to wait anymore. And I felt like, oh my gosh, this drama, like, why are all these people crying? And what's, you know, save it for your therapist. Like there are people waiting here. And I will never forget as soon as the person in front of me finished talking to her and stepped aside and the path cleared between me and Patricia Walden, I looked at her and she looked at me And I burst into tears, just like everyone before me. I was just really overcome with emotion. So I told her my situation, you know, that I was a very serious yoga student. I had been on and off antidepressants for a few years and it was hard for me. And I tried to get off, but I was unsuccessful. And and what did she think? And I think I was trying to ask her, can I still be a yogi and be on antidepressants? It's funny to me now that I was looking to her for that validation, but it, I, mu- I must have been. And I have no idea if Patricia Walden has ever been on antidepressants. If she takes them now, at this point in my life, it wouldn't be surprising if she did. But at that time, I really held her up as this example of someone who had been depressed, but had only used yoga to transcend her experience of depression. So I asked her this question, Patricia Walden looked at me and without missing a beat, she said, no blame, no shame, no guilt. And she may have said like one more sentence, but that was all I needed to hear. It was incredibly validating for me and it was really compassionate on her part. And it was one of the most liberating things anyone has ever said to me that I didn't have to blame myself or anyone else for my situation. I didn't have to be ashamed of my situation and I didn't have to feel guilty about my situation. I just had to accept myself. And now I can see the irony of the fact that I didn't see myself as a real yogi because I wasn't able to heal myself hundred percent naturally, that I wasn't this awesome picture of health and, and transcendence. I kept thinking, I must be doing something wrong in my yoga practice, or I I hadn't tried hard enough because there are some really wonderful stories of people healing themselves naturally in, in all different kinds of ways. But what I feel now is that the gift of yoga is self-acceptance and a true yogi isn't perfect all the time because none of us are. And a true yogi doesn't change their entire genetic makeup, you know, even you even inherit your, your gut flora, by the way, you know, a yogi doesn't change every single past trauma that ever happened to them and become this superhuman. It it, it just doesn't happen. You guys, 
I've seen the behind the scenes and I, I, I know this and I'm not talking about my husband. <laughs> He's very honest about his foibles. I'm talking about many of the lofty people that we look up to are just human underneath it all. So what I've come to believe is that a true yogi works on self-awareness and that self-awareness leads to self-acceptance and compassion for others. So if you're feeling guilty about your choices or not being able to get over it on your own in terms of depression, or if you're feeling guilty that you were diagnosed with cancer or, or some other chronic condition or disease, rad- radical self-acceptance can be incredibly liberating. And I'll even say, I think it's incredibly important for the healing process. And the other thing that you'll notice is that the more you practice being fine and happy and content with who you are, you'll be much better able to accept others and their flaws. And, you know, in the beginning of the podcast, I talked about how I wanted to feel normal. I, I, I kind of separated myself from this idea of people who took medication or something like that. And, you know, what that speaks to is I had these deeply embedded notions of what it meant to simply be acceptable as a lovable human being. And I just, you know, that's youth for you in some ways. But it's also just a mechanism that we do sometimes to separate ourselves from each other and to judge each other and to be in like this subtle unconscious competition with with each other. And I I did not know that that was there, that little seed of self-loathing. But when you can work on that, you just, you just see the beauty and the flaws in other people and you, you love them and accept them for who they are. The sooner you can practice radical self-acceptance and stand firmly in your own choices and your own healing and your own care, the happier you will be. I think it's kind of funny that after going through many of the ups and downs that I've been through in my life that I really feel like I'm one of the happiest people I know now. And, and I, I don't say that from a place of arrogance. I say that from a place of just relief, quite honestly. I feel relieved that I'm easier on myself. I'm easier on others. And I simply do what needs to be done to take care of myself and others. And I try not to give other people's opinions much of a second thought. It's not always easy, but that's why I wanted to create this podcast so that we could come together and talk about this and to let you know that if you're out there suffering, that you are not alone. And I encourage you to get help in whatever form is most effective for you, which may or may not include psychiatry, cognitive behavioral therapy, rolfing, physical therapy, cranial sacral work, acupuncture, yoga, meditation, talking to a friend, going to comedy shows, all of the above. There are so many different ways and modalities that we have for healing ourselves. And I just encourage you to get the help you need and to love yourself while you do it. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. 
As always, you can find show notes at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 49. I will put the article that I wrote about depression for Yoga Journal up there. And there's also a yoga sequence that goes along with it. So you can check that out. And until next week, enjoy your practice. Thank you.